What is going on, everybody? Welcome to a Friday edition of Texans All Access. It's a post-game edition, which is atypical because usually on the Friday show, we start previewing the game on Sunday. But because the Texans played last night, well, we got a post-game show for you. Welcome in, everybody. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter, and sitting in the Hyundai Texans radio studio, feeling good about 5-3, and three. feeling not so good about some news we got today. But such is life in the NFL and playing this game, and we'll get to all of that. We've got plenty for you on the show. Mark's going to stop by, and we're going to discuss what we saw last night. And there were so many good things. And, you know, one thing about having the stage to yourself on a Thursday night, anything that happens in that particular game ends up being fodder for everybody. Everybody. Everybody across the country just tweets out. Players watching. Todd Gurley's watching, tweeting out goats about DeAndre Hopkins, and you know that's what that's what happens. Everybody's watching that game. The NFL players want to see, and especially when you have players in this game like the Texans do, like Deshaun Watson, like DeAndre Hopkins, like Clowney, like Watt, like Matthew. They're, they, you know, people want to see what the Texans are all about. Hey, this team is four and three. They won four in a row. Are they legit? Are they for real? And it was a huge, huge talking point last night. So Mark and I are going to talk about that and some of the other things that we saw, maybe some of the underrated aspects of last night's game, and we'll get to that uh, very, very soon. Greg Mance, uh, we talked to earlier last week and got some great thoughts from him about stepping into the lineup. And we actually got some some questions today in Cooler Talk is Greg Mance, should Greg Mance or is Greg Mance going to be the starter going forward? And you know, Greg has played so well, so well the last couple of weeks. It's hard not to think of him as being a starter, but Zach Fulton was brought to this team. They believe in Zach, and Zach has played pretty well. You know, that Buffalo game was tough because he banged up uh, his ankle. He, his ankle at some point, I want to say it was on an extra point. He came walking away and limping pretty badly after the during that Buffalo game. Played through it, got through the game, but with two games in five days, kind of figured if he wasn't going to be ready for Friday, it was going to be really difficult to get ready for thir- or excuse me for Sunday. It wasn't going to be ready for Thursday. So my guess is that Zach, hopefully with ten days, will be able to come back. But that's the greatness about having the great thing about having Greg Mance on your rosters. He can play off guard, he can play right guard, he can play center, and he plays them all pretty well. And he's really excelled, I think, in between Nick Martin and Kendall Lamb. And some of that is because Nick and, excuse me, that Greg and Kendall have known each other since they've been here. They came in together in 2015, they lived together for a little bit. So there's a close relationship there. So we'll have our discussion that we had with Greg Mance. Our deep slant interview of the week this week is with Brennan Scarlett, who, when I and I wrote about this in Observations. You know, one of the things about this particular team that I love is the actual concept of team. These guys are all pulling for each other. Guys know what their roles are. You know, Brennan was a guy that last year, because of the injury to Whitney Merciless, he got a lot of time at outside linebacker. This year he's not getting that amount of time because Watt's back, Merciless back, Clowney could jump outside a little bit. Brennan's not getting that time on defense. Now, last night he got time at inside linebacker, actually. Because of the injuries to Zach Cunningham and then Peter Kalmbahi, Josh Kais, and um, and uh, Brendan Scarlett were the two guys that had to go in inside linebacker. So 
So Brandon's asked to do a lot of different things. But today I saw a uh, a tweet showing that Brandon Scarlett is the highest-rated special teams player in the league. And that's a guy that's, ex- that's taken that role of special teams and said, look, I'm going to go dominate. I can dominate this phase, and I can stick around this organization. I can stick in the NFL by being really, really good on special teams. So Brent Scarlett's going to stop by, and he's going to talk about Shania Twain. You have to stick around to see what I'm talking about. I got my picks for you. The Texans pick them presented by Train for a chance to win great weekly prizes. So I'll have all my picks straight up and against the spread. So I'll have those for you later in the show. And when I did Texans replay last week, and hopefully you guys tune in. It's Tuesday nights, 8 o'clock. It follows the player show and all access on Tuesday. So 6 to 7, 7 to 8, 8 to 9 is replay. After the catch in Jacksonville, the one-handed catch that DeAndre had on Jalen Ramsey, it got me thinking about where that one sat in the pantheon of catches. And then last night happens. And yes, it didn't count. I get that. But where does that one rank? Well, I'll let you know where I had him ranked prior to, and then you can figure out where it gets slotted. But Bill Bryant said it after the game. He said, I've seen those are the two catches that maybe are better than anything he's ever done were two that didn't count. And he referenced that one against the Giants in 2014 and obviously the one last night. Ironically, it was penalties on hop on both plays that negated the catches. The first one, because he was lined up, on the line, should have been off the line. Last night was a bogus pass interference. A bogus pass interference. That that was lousy. It was a lousy it was lousy call. It was a lousy called game overall last night. Just things that you know, the snap, the victory formation right before the half was handled poorly. I thought there were a couple calls they definitely missed during the game. Now, the flip side of that is when Justin Reed had that interception, apparently, and I have to go back and watch this, apparently Danny Amendola is being held, but I, I didn't see it. So, look, it, it can go both ways. It just felt like those things were not going in the Texans' direction. And not only that, I just felt like it was a poorly managed game from that perspective, but uh, that can be a discussion for a different time. Just hopefully that's the, the last we see of that crew. Now, let's get into some hot reads presented to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. As I mentioned earlier, some unfortunate news came out of this one, and we'll start with that before we get into anything else. Bill O'Brien met with the media today, and he had, unfortunately, this announcement as it pertained to wide receiver Will Fuller. Will Fuller, uh, tore his ACL, and uh, be out for the season. That's a tough one. It is just a gut punch, tough one to take. You know, I got in the building in 2014. In 2014, it was Jadeveon Clowney. He didn't deal with a torn ACL, but he missed a lot of that year having to have microfracture surgery. And then 2015, he was kind of up and down in and out of the lineup due to some injuries. In 2016, it was JJ. And... And Kevin Johnson. In 2017, it was everybody. It was Deshaun. It was Witt. It was Watt. It was everybody. And then this year, he kind of felt like, man, you know, there there have been some injuries. Maybe you can get Dylan Cole back. Maybe you get Bruce Ellington back. Some of those guys that have gone on IR. And then you get hit with that last night. And it was it was tough. Really tough to take. And 
being in a locker room the way that I am, I get a chance to kind of see things before everybody else does. So I kind of knew, I mean, I did know that there was a high probability that it was a torn ACL. So I, I kind of went through the, the grieving period, if you will, last night about Will Fuller. But coach said, you know what? Injuries are just a way of life in the NFL. That's the thing about this league, you know. I think if you go through every team, everybody's dealing with injuries. And so, you, you, you know, it's such a cliche, but, you know, the coaching staff, the players, uh, we all have to pitch in and figure it out and figure out how we're going to um, construct the offense. And, you know, maybe some things will be the same. Maybe some things will be a little bit different. Most importantly for right now, I'm very disappointed for Will, you know, because uh, Will Will's a great guy. He's uh, really I've been playing at a high level, like you said, so just disappointed for Will. Yeah, no doubt. Will's turned himself into not only one of the most significant deep threats in the league, but one of the best receivers. He's been doing everything, everything well. I mean, I don't think there's any question uh, about that, no doubt. Now, one of the big stories, I think, in the last two weeks has been the play of the offensive line. No sacks last night, one quarterback hit, no sacks in the last 116 minutes of action, dating back to the 11-minute mark of the first quarter against Jacksonville. So it's played well, and Coach is happy with that. But you got to keep it going. Past couple games have been good. I mean, they've they've passed protected well. Um, we've run the ball well. But like I just said to some guys in the locker room, you know, it's a short walk. You know what I mean? So what do you what have you done for me lately? Absolutely, that's what the NFL is. What have you done for me lately? Now, a guy that's done a lot of things lately is Deshaun Watson. If you think about what he's been through on Saturday morning, maybe way, I guess way early, maybe even Friday night, took off on a 12-and-a-half-hour trip to Jacksonville on a bus. Got there. In fact, I think he beat us there to Jacksonville. Plays in the game. Has a solid ball game. Not the greatest you've ever seen, but made timely third-down throws. Great throw to hop for the touchdown. Move the team up and down the field. No turnovers. Gets back on his bus. Drives back 12 and a half hours on Sunday. Gets back dark 30 Monday. And then on Thursday night, goes berserk. 16 to 20. Five touchdowns. And was just outstanding. And Coach O'Brien said, Watson's so even keeled, but yet he strives to get better every day. He's really the same guy every day. That's what you're really looking for in a quarterback. You really don't want an up-and-down guy. He's the same guy every day. He's got a lot of confidence. He has no fear. Um, he loves uh, He loves big moments. He loves when the ball's in his hands, and he's learning every day. So when you have those, those, those things going for you and you're like a sponge and you're willing to learn, work at it, get better, you know, remember the things that, you, you, you know, you, you can improve upon each week remember them for the next game, now you got something. And so, uh, you know, that's the type of guy he is. Absolutely. Brilliant night last night for Deshaun Watson. Did an unbelievable job. Another guy that's done a really solid job and getting better by the week is Justin Reed. He's been fantastic. He had the interception last night, had another pass breakup, had one he should have gotten credit for. I don't know if he's getting credit because Devontae Parker ended up making a catch. So I don't know if... Justin gets a PBU for that, but he popped Jakeem Grant, popped the ball. Justin's been doing it, and to think that this guy was a third-round pick is absolutely amazing, and Coach talked about what Justin has meant to the defense. 
Justin's getting better, uh, getting better every time out. He's making big plays for us. I mean, that interception last night kind of got us going, and um, that was a big play. He's got he's got good ball skills. He really he's got a good room in there with uh, the vets, J. Joe and those guys, Kareem, obviously Tyron. Um, guys are helping him out, and so I think he's taking advantage of that and trying to get better and better. Speaking of Justin Reed, let's hear from the rookie safety from Stanford. He, I believe, if I saw this right online, and I'm not a big, big, huge fan of pro football focus, but I think he graded out. He and Deshaun Watson were the two players that graded out the best. One a second-year player, one a rookie. So pretty incredible to see what those guys have been doing. And Justin was talking about finding ways to improve in this league, and that is what he's been doing. The league's all about improvement, man, and you just gotta you just gotta keep getting better, and that's what I've been doing. Consistently, the game slowed down more and more. You start to see a lot of the same pass concepts show up over and over again, and it's just those reps, the build up of those reps, and I'm getting used to seeing, and it's allowing me to react to it quicker. Absolutely, there's no doubt he has been playing at a really, really high rate. Now he got the pick, but he said, "Yeah, I left something on the table. I should have gotten in the end zone." Man, I never had a pick six yet. I saw it, man. I saw it. I saw it. I, I got actually one of my boys that I need to go talk to about blocking after this interview is over. But, but man, I wanted it. But, hey, our offense scored it two plays later. So that's what we do. It's complimentary offense. Yeah, it was a little bit of uh, – it was a pseudo pick six, if you will, for Justin Reed. Now, a guy that ended up getting those touchdowns was Jordan Thomas. This is – Jordan Thomas in a nutshell. Take a listen to this. He, I, I'm not totally sure what's going on with this, but this is pretty funny. This is Jordan Thomas talking about his touchdowns, his catches. Man, I ain't a superstar, man. That ain't me. I'm just saying. Hey. Work on your leap, though. Man. Sir? Work on that leap. It was bad? It was bad? I just didn't make it. I know. I know. I didn't think it was that hot until I jumped up there. I was like, dang, it's high. It is high. There's no question about that. But Jordan Thomas got himself in the end zone, and that was fantastic. And Jordan's getting used to playing tight end, and he said, by the week, I'm getting more and more comfortable learning more and more about the game and what he can do. I'm still, you know, learning things as I go, you know. It's a long season, so I'm, I'm, I'm learning it each week, new things. No doubt, and he's making it pay off. Two touchdowns last night for the rookie out of Mississippi State. All right, those are your hot reads brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. Coming up, the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer, gives us his thoughts, and we talk about everything that we saw last night right here at Energy Stadium and a 42-23 win for your Texans, and that'll be next on Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio, a Friday victory edition. Which, that's two years in a row on a Thursday night. Mark Vandermeer, what do you think about that? I think uh, Thursday night football, we've mastered it. The Texans have finally (laughs) mastered the art of Thursday night football. I don't know. It's different every year, as Bill O'Brien might say. But I think one of the things the guys talked about was all the changes in the nutrition program, sports Mm -hmm. performance, and everything else. And maybe that helped them a lot this week. Dominate the Dolphins. That's what they did. You know, it's funny. When you watch the replay, I know we have it on the monitor here, yep. and you look at it, and it's not a quick start. You know, you're up 14-10 at the half, and O'Brien now, what, 25-1 and one after leading at the half? Something 26 like 26-1 and, and one. He's 25-1 at the half last night, so 26-1. and one. Jeez. I mean, that's really impressive. And I think that, 
you saw the results in the second half. The Texans pulled away. What did Ryan Griffin tell us a week and a half ago? This is the time of year where we should start pulling away from other teams in terms of the fitness and nutrition aspect of things. We'll yeah. see if that pans out in the second half of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think one of the things that stood out to me last night, Mark, were and the news of of Will Fuller retired. Talked about that in the opening segment. I mean, it's just it's so frustrating to have to talk about a 2018 season without Will Fuller because yeah. of all that he had done and obviously the connection he has with Deshaun. But the one thing that stood out to me last night was how many guys had to step into roles that maybe they're not accustomed to. Mm-hmm. So Kareem Jackson has played a lot of corner, but he's been playing very well at safety. He had to move back to corner for the Jacksonville game. He stayed at corner last night. Mike Tyson's in the game playing nickel at safety. You've got Tyron, who's playing the nickel, who's played it before, but he's played safety until they've had all these issues at corner. You put Natrell Jamerson in at corner, who hasn't played at corner at all, and last year at Wisconsin, he played safety. Now he has played a little corner before. So at one point, when, when J. Joe was, was down with the injury, which there are some reports about J. Joe that he could be back in two to three weeks. We'll see. He's got... Uh, an MCL issue apparently and an, an ankle sprain. So he's got a little couple of things. But because they only play one game in 24 days, that's the kind of situation that might get him back. But I, when he was down on the ground, Mark, I looked out there and Anthony Midget had the five guys that were out on the field in nickel around him. And I just remember going, that's five safeties. Yep. They're five safeties. And they right. got to play two of those guys at corner. Right. And they ended up. Doing a, a decent job of that. Josh Kaiser and Peter Kalambai, you got to go in the game. And it was next man up. I don't care who you are. I don't care what job you got to do. But you got to step up and make a play. And I think a perfect example of that was there was a third down throw in the uh, second quarter. I think, yeah, third down throw in the second quarter. And it was one where Devontae Parker caught one across the middle. And the throw was kind of behind him, and Parker made his great catch. And I remember Tyron and Justin looking at Josh Keys, and they were kind of incredulous. They were like, bro, that – like they pointed to you him. you got to be like, right there. Yeah, you got to be right there. And then it was as if they both kind of simultaneously understood, hey, Josh Keyes got back here on Tuesday. Yeah. And they kind of both patted him on the head. Well, a couple of plays later, just as if to say, look, that's got to be your play. Let's make yeah. the play. Two plays later, three plays later, whatever it was, he comes barreling through, hammers Osweiler, knocks the ball out. Should have been a touchdown. And, of course, it's Jamerson who picks it up. But to me, it was the next man up concept coming to fruition. If that stood, that is it. I mean, not in a nutshell. I mean, that's just a fully fleshed out example of what you're talking about. Yeah. You have Kai's hitting the quarterback, ball out, and Jamerson picks it up, runs yep. it into the end zone. Two guys who have, who would not have seen the field last night in a position situation right. had the starters stayed healthy when you look at Zach Cunningham and Jonathan Joseph. So that's a great point right there. I'm still iffy on that call. I understand the technicality of the arm coming forward. However, it wasn't coming forward. It was getting reeled back in. He yeah. was trying to bring them all back in. I mean, if there's a tuck rule, there's a tuck rule. I know it was a finger roll, but it was still <laughs> it, it was the ball coming out when he wanted to bring it in. He was definitely not trying to throw it at that point. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's – uh. It was a weird uh, night for the crew, but I know that's a whole other topic. Oh, oh boy, is that a whole other topic? Oh gosh, I, I don't, I don't even want to go down that road. But it was, it was brutal. But either way, the the it was funny because after the game, 
my office mate, Adolf Leibowitz, she's like, it's, I don't know, 1.30, 1.45 in the morning or so, and she goes, Johnny, can you explain that play to me? And I said, and I tried to start, I started to try and explain it, and then as I'm explaining it, I realize there's no, like, there's no way that you could describe that as not a touchdown. Yeah. There was no way. In fact, when you threw it down to me, I said, all right, let's get the confirmation of this touchdown. And then he says, the play's overruled, and I went, yeah. what? Well, between that, the long snapper roughing oh, penalty, which everyone thinks is really incorrectly called, including Mike Pereira on the Fox broadcast, yes. and give me another one. How about Hopkins catch, which should have counted, oh. really? Let's put it this way. On the Hopkins catch, if they ruled it a catch— if they never called OPI on that, would anybody object to that? Would anybody say, oh, that was OPI? If anything, it's on both guys, and they were tangled up, and usually in those situations, they just kind of let it go. And what happened last week at Jacksonville? They let it go. Remember on the sideline, he and Ramsey are tangled up? Yeah. And at first, they threw the flag, and then what they do? They picked it up, and then when we saw the replay, what did we all say? We went, yeah, okay. It's both guys. That's a play on. Yeah. You know, that's, a, that's, a, that's a play on. Yeah. But I just I loved last night from the standpoint of – the, the the next man up, but I think, and we've said this throughout the first half of the season. It's weird to say the first half of the season. We played eight games, so mm-hmm. it's the first half of the season. This rookie class. Oh, gosh. I mean, Kiki didn't play last night. But he's going to, and he's going to play well. Justin Reed. How about that? Is a baller. You know, he looks like a guy you got late in the first round. I know. You know? I know. And you got him in the third round. I mean, and, if you're watching Derwin James from the Chargers and you're watching Justin Reed and you realize those two picks were two rounds apart, you'd look, you'd yeah. go, what? Really? I mean, Reed's been unbelievable. Yeah, it, and it's early, but he's off to a tremendous start. Uh, Jordan Akins, I really like him. Jordan Thomas, obviously. I mean, last night was great. Yeah, that was his and night. It's funny because Akins had those two touchdown catches in the preseason opener at Kansas City. We all thought, oh, we're going to see a ton of Akins. And I think, you know, Bill O'Brien has said it himself. He wants to get them the ball more, but I think he wants to get everybody the ball more. It's just right. a matter of, all right, if you only throw it 20 times last night, 24 times against Jacksonville, how about that, Johnny? Back-to-back wins, dominating wins, really, as it turned out, mm-hmm. and you only threw it 44 times in the two games combined. Have, didn't we have a game this year where we threw it 44 times? Well, I, Probably. Maybe the Colts are one of those games. And, you know, when you're behind, you're throwing a sure, lot, yeah. I guess. Sure. I, I get it. You know, when you're two scores down or whatever. Uh, often the 300-yard games come in losses or games where it's a shootout where your defense is kind of giving out. Last night when you're running the ball, you don't need to throw it that much and certainly don't want to risk further injury to Watson. You know, everyone makes a big deal, and they should, about no sacks and only one hit. But he only threw it 20 times. Yep. That's the beauty of these games, these last two games. Now, he did take some hits against the Jaguars, but they kept them clean last night. Now Watson has the weekend off. Get ready for Denver. I know they have those other injuries they have to absorb, but guess what? The most important I, – I don't want to word it like that because J. Joe is extremely important to this sure. football team. But the key guy is number four here. He's the guy yep. you've got to keep healthy no matter what. You have to hope to keep everybody else healthy and see where it takes you in the second half. Yeah, you know, I thought it was interesting. I thought back to when the team was 0-3. And I remember Tyron did an interview going into – I think it was going into the Colts game. I think it was going into the Colts game. It was either going into the Colts game or going into the Giants game. I think it was going into the Colts game because the team was 0-3. And I remember him making a comment. He said, our five-star players have to play like five-star players. Yeah. And 
I don't. I mean, I don't know. You know, for Tyron, who exactly he thinks is a five-star player, but you you could at that point figure out. Okay, he's talking about this guy. This he's talking about Watson. Yeah. He's talking about Hopkins. He's talking about uh, Fuller. He's talking about himself. He's talking about Clowney, Watt. The he, the five-star players got to play five-star players, and they've done that. Yep. But I think what's made this five-game winning streak is that the guys that you wouldn't consider are the five-star players are are doing things above and beyond the call of duty, if you will. Like I said, next man up concept. Jordan Thomas with two touchdowns last night. And on the one that he caught on the fourth down play, Aikens was actually the one that that should have gotten the ball. That's, I think, who they were going to throw to. And Deshaun just had too much trash to be able to get there. And then he works his way around. He ends up finding Jordan Thomas, and away you go. So the five-star players have played like five-star players, but the – I don't want to say the other guys. That sounds kind of weird, but the guys that you don't that the non high profile players have all played at a pretty high level, mm-hmm. and I think that's been really important. You get contributions from everybody on a forty six man roster. Jordan Thomas, by the way, and the catch he made, the second one, that yes, was the not down play. that was not unathletic. I mean, no. he had to reach to his right and get it to the ground yeah. and, and make sure it didn't hit the ground and all of that. I mean, I'm looking at the frame, Johnny. I mean, he, at that frame, I mean, you told us about him when they drafted him, how yeah. he was a wide receiver at Mississippi State and everything. And this is just the beginning. Yeah. You give him some time to really mature as a player in the system, play around with Watson. And on that note here, how about this? And, and we'll talk to Bill O'Brien about this on Monday. The scramble drills are so paramount for this team. It's never like they need a super highway in in the end zone, like two lanes going back and forth of receivers, just like everybody just scramble around because Watson's going to buy time. The highlight they keep showing from above where he's running east, west, and or actually it is west to east. Yeah, because it's right and then left. But buying all that time, the defense has to be frustrated out of their minds trying to track him down. It's interesting you say that. Because last night I was thinking about this when I saw I saw a replay. It didn't hit me right off the top, but I saw a replay of the play, and I went, "They've worked on this. The play itself, yes, they've worked yeah. on it, but they've worked on the scramble drill. In fact, I remember being at the Greenbrier and they were down in that far end zone with where where we could stand, right? And I remember seeing Deshaun take a snap and then he would roll to his right, and it was like this choreographed movement of these are the right. This is the play we got called. Okay, now he's going to scramble. So now here's what you got to do. And they all kind of seemingly had some informal rules for what they were supposed to do. They've worked on that before. Yeah. They know. And so it it was interesting to think about them working on a drill that seems so improvisational, but there was some advanced preparation for that. Yeah. Now it was back at the Greenbrier, and I'm sure they still work on it in practice. I and mean, we don't get to see as much of practice as as we used to, and didn't get to see it at the. We got to see everything at the Greenbrier, and so that was one of the drills that we got to see. I guarantee you they still work on it. Well, when you run the play the way it's designed, it's classical music. When you do what you just described, it's jazz. Yeah. We have a structure, right. but we're going to improvise within the structure. And Fox had it. NFL Network, Fox joint effort here on national television they had an iso shot of deandre hopkins during that jordan thomas second touchdown catch 
and he start he is on the right side, yeah. and he's hustling in the back of the end zone, running over like I gotta get a touchdown, I gotta get a touchdown, <laughs> hustling, sprinting to that side, staying flat in the yeah. back of the end zone so he can create some space for himself. But obviously, the ball's gonna come out at some point, and Watson threw a touchdown pass on fourth down, so they were very successful in the goal to go last night. I mean, it was just a fruitful night for the offense. Again, in limited throws with the 20, and they ran the ball so effectively. Yeah, they did. 188 yards. Lamar Miller was absolutely fantastic. Alfred Blues giving him some good stuff. Coach O'Brien talked about Deontay Foreman potentially coming back soon. Didn't know exactly when, but talked about him Boy, that would be coming back. Awesome. I mean, my goodness. I mean, the way that, that Blue has been playing – They've played a lot of Blue and Miller together. Yes. Which I What does like. that do to the defense? Well, a few things. Think back to the Jacksonville game. They lined up in the I formation, and Blue is at fullback. Yeah. And so you're thinking, hey, that, and that's what the Cowboys did. They lined up Zeke at fullback. Remember that? And Zach popped them on a third and one instead of fourth and one, and yeah. they punted. Well, they had Zeke at fullback. I guarantee you when Jacksonville saw Blue at fullback, they're thinking third and one, hey, hey, Blue's at fullback, and then what they do? Fake the blue, flip to Miller, he gets the first down. So there's a little bit of deception there, but you got two pretty good blockers, and they've done a nice job in pass protection to help out uh, the tackles, to help out in the interior, depending on where pressure's coming from. They've done a really good job. I like that set when they put both of them in there together. You mentioned Hopkins. He was hot after that touchdown, and I couldn't understand why. Mm. I, I, I was like, wow, he's, he's kind of upset because he was talking to the official for a long time. Maybe he got held. He did. He right got held, side. and that's what it was is he was going back across. He got held. Speaking of Hopkins, now we've, been, we've done a lot of games together. You've done Texans games from the beginning. You called Hurricanes games, Central Michigan. I mean, you've called games. You've been to games live. You've been to basketball, baseball, whatever the case might be. I think I could honestly make a case for that being one, not one of, that might be the most impressive athletic thing I've ever seen. Wow, anywhere. most impressive athletic thing. I mean, I'll tell you what, I'll give you one while you think of yours. Right. I'll give you one other one. I was at the 93 Sugar Bowl when the Canes played Alabama. Right. And George Teague ran down Lamar Thomas and stripped the ball away from him. Lamar Thomas caught a, caught a route up the sideline, and Teague was out of position. And Thomas was a sprinter on a track team. And Teague ran him down, chopped with his right hand, and ripped the ball out and got it back for Alabama. Similarly to, to Hopkins' play, Alabama was offside. So the play didn't count. But it was still impressive. But, but Miami was about to, Thomas was about to score and get back in the game. Right. They had to go back and redo the down. It was an incomplete pass. Alabama got the ball and scored again, and that was the ball game. That, seeing him run him down and then take the ball away, literally take the ball away, that ranks up there. But what he did last night, forget it. I don't think I've seen anything at that level. Basketball, baseball, I've seen guys go over walls, seen him make diving catches. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. I mean, the fact that it went through the legs, you uh, know, I, and the ball doesn't touch the ground. He's the best. I mean, the guy is the very best. And I know we go back and forth about this week to week, but he was getting a lot of, oh, yeah, he is the best last yeah. night from all the national pundits. Yeah. The fact that the Texans did this on national television, it was a love fest last night. It was, it was really a cool. Houston love fest. And I thought, who would have thought this a few weeks ago yeah. that the Texans would be the darlings of the NFL a few weeks later? Yet that's what's happened. Now, darlings, I mean, it's not like it's going to be permanent, but, you know, you hope that it lasts a while. Yeah. You hope the streak does. 
And Bill O'Brien is very careful. I mean, he knows, hey, Jamie Roots likes to say to us in the business op side of thing, things, there's nothing less relevant than the score at halftime. Now, for Bill O'Brien, it is relevant because he's 26-1 and one at halftime. Yes. But you're at halftime of the season right now, and you're 5-3, and three, and we would have been glad after the 0-3 start, I would have taken 4-4 four and four in a heartbeat. Are you kidding me yep. at that point? But here you are, 5-3, and three, keep it rolling. Yep, and – Got to get some guys back healthy, and hopefully you yep. will. You won't get Will Fuller back, and that's a, that's a tough one. But, but, number four still playing, yep. and he is not only just playing, he is getting better and better by the week, and that is exactly what you want to hear. Mark, appreciate it. Thanks, Johnny. Coming up next, we do our picks. I do this every single Friday, and now we're going to incorporate the Texans pick them as well. Game straight up and against the spread. I give you winners and winners and more winners next right here in Texans All Access. Calling all Houston area teachers. Want to bring a little Texans football to your classroom? Then sign up for Toro's Matrills, presented by Phillips. Toro's Matrills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Matrills to learn more. All right, people. It's time to play Texans Pick'em. Presented by Train. For a chance to win great weekly prizes like autographed items, Texans tickets, or even a cruise. That's right. Download the Texans mobile app to play now. So we do this every single week, and somebody, I guess, got wise and was like, wait a second, let's put the Texans pick them with John making the picks on Friday. Bada bing, bada bang. And before you know it, we put it all together. I love it. Finally. Finally, we got this done. So, let's get our picks in against the spread and straight up. I give you both. I think the pick them is just winners. But I'm giving you winners and uh, winners against the spread straight up. I should say Texas pick them is just straight up, I believe. I I believe. Not totally sure on that. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's pretty much the case. So, all right, let's get into this and get our picks. And let's start. Oh, wait. Before we start. Give me my music, please, and there we go. Okay, let's go to London. This one will take place at 8.30 on Sunday morning. 8.30 Sunday morning, Philadelphia, Jacksonville. Both teams, three and four, really need for Philadelphia to trounce Jacksonville in this one. Now, Jacksonville has a London field advantage. What do I mean by that? They've gotten very accustomed to what they need to do in London, whereas this, I believe, is... New territory for Philly. That said, no A.J. Boye, no Leonard Fournette. I think the Eagles, favored by three, are going to win this one straight up and cover that three. So let's go Eagles getting to even on the year. Jacksonville going to three and five. Then we have our noon games. We'll start with the Jets in Chicago. Jets three and four, Chicago three and four. Pretty even, you would think, right? Uh Uh-uh. Las Vegas says Chicago's at home. A seven and a half point favorite. That is a little too rich for me. The Jets can be up and down. I'm expecting them to be up, not to win, but to get inside that seven and a half. So let's go Bears to win, Jets to cover. Then you got Tampa Bay going to Cincinnati. Three and three against four and three. No, so look at these games. Three and three versus three and three. Three and four versus three and three. Three and three versus four and three. And you got one Tampa Bay and Cincinnati. Cincinnati's four and three. They just got drilled last week, last Sunday night, by the Kansas City Chiefs. They're coming home. I think Kansas City, favored by three and a half, 
playing a very volatile Tampa Bay team. Never know what to expect from Tampa Bay. They had every opportunity to win that game in regulation against the Browns. and Then they get to overtime, 59-yard field goal. Good, they win. It's just bizarre. I don't like volatility. I'm going Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati will cover that 3.5 and and get the win at home. Seattle and Detroit are both 3-3, and and Detroit's favored by 3. So kind of a numeric alliteration, if you will. Detroit playing at home, I probably trust them a little bit more than I do Seattle on the road. Now, Seattle has gone on the road and played a little bit better. This Seattle team, I think, is a little bit better than I expected, and they're better than some people did. Some people thought Seattle was just going to bounce back and be fine. After they got rid of Richard Sherman, came Chancellor, retired. Earl Thomas was unhappy, and then he got hurt. He's out for the year. I think that's going to end up being a big key against Detroit. I think without Earl Thomas, Detroit coming off a game in which they ran for 248 yards on Miami last Sunday. Texans ran for 188 last night. I'm going to go with Detroit at home. I think the running game, I think Stafford mixing it up, the run pass balance. I like Detroit in this one to cover the three and to win outright at home. Well, if you're going to cover the three, you're going to win outright. So there you go. Denver goes to Kansas City. Denver Broncos are the opponent up next for the Houston Texans. So you get a little scouting over the weekend of the Broncos. The Kansas City Chiefs are 6-1. and one. They hammered the Bengals a week after losing to the Patriots. Kansas City's favored by nine. I like Kansas City in this one. I think Denver, coming off a mini-buy like the Texans are, or going to be, they went to Arizona and they knocked Arizona out. The Kansas City Chiefs team is a little different animal. And the game was close in Denver, very close. Patrick Mahomes had to work some magic, but he did. I don't think magic's going to be needed. I think Kansas City wins this one by a couple touchdowns. At a minimum, ten. That's more than nine. So we're going with Kansas City to win and cover that nine. Then you got Washington taking on the New York football Giants. So here's the way it's going in the NFC East. And I'm not exactly sure how to how to play this. The Giants got thumped on Thursday night against the Eagles. Eagles just ran right through them. Washington is four and two. Just got through beating Dallas. Atop the NFC East standings. On the road, Washington's only a one-point favorite. I would expect it more, especially the Giants team. It's one and six. I don't know that I trust the Giants, though. Eli comes in here, and he looks like the Hall of Famer that he could potentially be. But six other games, he's just looked lousy. Minus the Carolina game, he made some plays in that Carolina game the week after we played them. They played Carolina, and he was fantastic. And it's been those two weeks, really, and then other weeks it's just been dreadful. He has no help on the offensive line. He's got help at receiver. He's got Saquon Barkley. But that having not having any help on the offensive line is just is killing them. And Eli doesn't do anything really outside the pocket. So I don't trust New York. Washington's assets travel. Washington's got a really good defense. They got Adrian Peterson to pound the rock. I'm going to go with Washington. Basically, it's a straight up game with a one point advantage for Washington. I'm going to go Washington to win outright and cover that one point spread. Cleveland Pittsburgh matchup again. Cleveland now 2-4-1 after losing in overtime again. Pittsburgh 3-2-1. Pittsburgh's favored by 8.5 at home. It feels a little rich. I think Cleveland stays competitive and gets inside the 8.5, but eventually Pittsburgh's going to win that game and go to 4-2-1 and and get at the top of the standings, get to the top of the standings in the AFC North. Baltimore's 4-3. They got more wins, but Pittsburgh's got two in the loss column. So... And we'll get to Baltimore in just a second. So I think Pittsburgh gets the win. Cleveland will get inside the 8.5. That's a little rich. 
E, even though Pittsburgh's playing a little better defensively, Cleveland will score a little bit, but Pittsburgh's going to win that game. But Cleveland gets a cover. Baltimore goes to Carolina. Really hoping for Carolina here. Really need Carolina to step up. They got a big win on the road last week at Philadelphia, coming from behind, down 17 to nothing in the fourth. Cam Newton led them back to a win. Baltimore is favored in Carolina. I think giving too much credit to Baltimore. Way too much credit to Baltimore. I'm taking Carolina to win this thing straight up, and obviously they'll get the cover against the Baltimore Ravens. And then you got the Colts going out to the East Bay, going out to Oakland to take on the Ravens. And on the road, the Colts are favored by two and a half. Yeah, things are not great in Oakland. Going into the 2018 season, we got Gruden, we got Derek Carr, we got Beast Mode, we got Khalil Mack when he signs, we got Amari Cooper, we got we got all these players. Now all of a sudden, they don't have Cooper, they don't have Khalil Mack. Some question whether they're actually getting the Derek Carr they thought they were going to get. Oakland's a mess. But if they're going to right the ship, this might be the opportunity to do it. You know what, I'm going with Oakland in an upset here to win outright, obviously cover the 2.5 over Indianapolis. Indianapolis gets Jack Doyle back. That'll help Andrew Luck out a little bit. But I'm going to go with the Raiders to win this one, get to 2-5 and five and knock Indianapolis to 2-6. and six. Maybe I'm going with a little bit more heart than head on that one, but that's where I'm rolling. Indy to lose, Oakland to win outright. Green Bay goes to L.A. Haven't said that in a long time. Rams are hot, 7-0. Nobody can beat them, right? What about the only guy that could, and it really is one guy? It's Aaron Rodgers. He's probably the only guy to do it. But I don't think he does beat them, but I do think he gets inside the nine points the Rams are favored by. So let's go with the Rams to win this one. This feels 35-31-ish. That's kind of what it feels like. So let's go Rams to win. Maybe got to score late to do it, but the Rams will win, but the Packers will get inside that nine points to cover. San Francisco and Arizona, both one and six. San Francisco's favored by one and a half. It's essentially a pick em. I'm going to go with Arizona circling the wagons here. I don't know why. I, I don't feel great about it, but I'm going to. I'm going with Arizona to circle the wagons and get the win at home against San Francisco. Sunday night's game should be a fun one. New Orleans goes back to Minnesota. New Orleans hot. That win last week over the Baltimore Ravens on the road. That's going to be very tough to duplicate, even though New Orleans is favored. I think Minnesota is going to go get this one. New Orleans playing well, but I think, New, I think Minnesota at home. Adam Thielen, Kirk Cousins. I think the offense puts up some numbers. It's basically a pick. I'm going to take the Vikings at home to win that one on Sunday night. And then on Monday evening, the New England Patriots, the 5-2 and two Patriots go to Buffalo 2-5, and five, and it's a mess with Derek Anderson. New England favored by 13.5. I think New England will actually cover that and beat them by 17. This feels 31-14, 34-10, something like that. Let's give New England the win and the cover on the road against Buffalo on Monday evening. All right, we get back. We'll have our deep slant interview of the week, and this week it is special teams star and outside linebacker Brennan Scarlett right here in Texans All Access. We are into our second hour of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Glad to be with you. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter for your 5-3 and three Houston Texans. Start 0-3, won five in a row at the midway point, 5-3. and three. You know, it's funny when I think back to what I thought about this team going in and looking at the schedule and the teams they were playing, I remember thinking, man, if we get to 6-2 and two or 5-3 and three after eight games, 
Well, we got to be feeling pretty good about that. I had no idea we would get to 5-3 and three and do it this way, but they've made some really good progress. I know the Will Fuller injury will be one that slows them down a little bit, but they've got a lot of confidence on both sides of the ball, and I think that's really what's, what's helped them now. And it really started with that Jadeveon Clowney fumble recovery against the Colts. Yeah, I know the Colts came back and in overtime and all that, but that was really kind of the kickstart of this whole thing. And I remember saying that week, look, you might need some help. When you're kind of in the doldrums and you got no breaks going your way, you kind of need the other side to give you one and get you a, give you a break. And the Colts did, and it kind of broke open the door. They got another break later when Frank Reich went for it on fourth down. Uh, the Texans were able to get that win in Indianapolis. So it has been an exciting eight games, to say the least. And last night, they put a pretty thorough whipping on the Miami Dolphins. That was good stuff. Now, a guy that had stepped in at linebacker last night, in addition to all of his special teams duties, is Brandon Scarlett. And he sat down with D.P. Sidhu for our Deep Slant interview of the week. D.P., take it away. Joining me today, Brennan Scarlett, linebacker for the Houston Texans. Special teams phenom. How's it going today, Brennan? Oh, wonderful. Better now that I'm on on Deep Slant. Thanks. (laughs) You know, I, I appreciate it. I don't think I've had you on... Did I have you on last year? Last year, yeah. I did have you on because I know I've talked to you before. It's been a but while. First time for this year. Uh, I want to ask you about Shania Twain. Are you a big Shania Twain fan? I'm, I'm a big Shania Twain fan, yes. I uh, came across the T-shirt with her face on it, and I fell in love with the shirt. Then I you know, did a little deep digging into the music, fell in love with the music. Oh, you saw the shirt first, and you had not heard the music? <laughs> well, I've heard it, but I didn't. I hadn't done a deep dive into the Shania Twain archives, but. She's got some cuts for sure. The shirt definitely helped, huh? All right, so you wear the Shania Twain shirt, and then you have this, like, monster game on special teams. First career fumble recovery, recovering a blocked punt. You had a special teams tackle all against Buffalo. Mm-hmm. I think that you need to start wearing the shirt more often, maybe, if you're superstitious uh, as a good luck. She's possibly a good luck charm. She's possibly a good luck charm. So we'll have to test it sooner test, down yeah. the line. I can't, I can't rock the shirt again too soon. You know, that'll just be a bad on the war, on the wardrobe. Fashion faux over, pause. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I got you. I All got right. you. I saw that you put – it was actually the like of the week. I do this thing called likes and stuff. Oh, really? And we made your Shania Twain shirt the like of the week. Uh, because you also wanted someone to tag Shania in it, which I oh, saw yeah. a bunch of people yeah. tagged her. But <laughs> had you heard, has she reached out or have you heard anything? Uh, Unfortunately, I haven't heard anything. She should at least sign your shirt. I'm but, just putting that out there for the uh, universe. Hopefully, hopefully, at some point, you know, our paths will cross. During the game, I noticed that uh, your good pal and teammate Dylan Cole, who's on injured reserve, he's mm-hmm. always tweeting at you, tweeting at special teams, yeah. and what a great job you guys are doing so far. What does the identity of this special teams look like right now? Uh, we got a great group of guys, you know, between all the, the leaders we got on the unit plus the younger guys. You know, we all come in with the attitude that, you know, every week we're trying to dominate our opponents uh, and we prepare hard, hold each other accountable. Uh, so that's kind of the identity of the group right now. You know, we got guys like Johnson Batamosi and Brian Peters and obviously Terrell Adams and then the younger dudes, Justin Reed and Peter Kalambayi, uh Buddy, AJ. Just we got a good group of guys and we're all uh, we're all working uh really be the best unit out there you're under brad seeley and tracy i mean two new guys who've done Mm -hmm. it for a really long time i've heard they're sort of like yin and yang together those two travel in a pack right wherever they they coach (laughs) like how are they so different i don't really know them the same way you guys know them uh both both very knowledgeable so you can kind of go to either of them um for anything 
you know, Tracy kind of sits with the guys in the meetings while uh, Coach Sealy leads leads the meeting. So it's kind of nice to have him. He's almost like, you know, he's like a player back there, you know, chopping it up. So whatever questions we have, you know, just cracking jokes back there. So uh, it's just it's a good dynamic. And uh, Coach Sealy obviously been doing it a long time and, uh, you know, takes a very uh, scientific, meticulous pro- approach to special teams and, you know, our jobs and responsibilities and, uh, it pays off. Zero punt yards given up against New England. And right now, one of the best in the league in yards allowed on kickoff returns. I just want to put that out there. Special teams, very special right now. I want to talk to you about yourself. It's your third season out of Stanford. You came here undrafted, and now you look back. It's hard to imagine that you were undrafted. I almost feel like i got to check that every time I look <laughs> you up. What do you think you did right to sort of have this career and this start to the career that you've had so far? Um, You know, I just think the – First of all, just had, you know, guys ahead of me that I've been able to learn from, you know, to you know, learn how to prepare, learn how to keep my body right, uh, you know, and learn how to just be a pro. And uh, so that's kind of something that, you know, I take through the off seasons in the season, um, you know, just preparing every week. Um, Who was that you know. for you your first year in 2016? Who do you think you really looked up to? Uh, I looked up a lot to uh, Whitney Merciless, um, Brian Peters, Brian Cushing. Uh, those guys, and uh, come the off season, I started working out with Nadam uh, Sue who kind of so we train in the off season together. So I've learned a lot from from him. You train out in California? Is that where Portland, you all train? Portland, in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, the Nike headquarters. So lucked out. Oh, that's that right. You're rocking the Nike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, big Nike guy. <laughs> <laughs> I almost wonder when you're in Portland, Oregon, like how much is it a football state? Or they're like, I, I mean, obviously mm. you got the football programs there, right? Right. But like overall, is it? It's got to be so different from what the attitude towards football in Texas is, oh, I would without imagine. A doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah, because we don't have a professional team out there. Uh, so it's like soccer is a big sport because we've got the Timbers and then basketball, obviously, mm-hmm. with Trailblazers. Uh, so I'd say those are kind of the, the leading sports. But, you know, we got some good guys that have come out of Portland. And, uh, you know, they are everybody who's, I think, that is a professional in the league, for the most part, goes back to Portland and either trains or, like, has a good deep connection with the with the city. So, it's a good close knit group, I would say. Have you ever taken any of your teammates back to Portland? Uh, Has anyone ever tagged along with you on one of those trips? Uh, not yet. No, not yet. <laughs> DJ Reader was supposed to supposed to make a trip, bailed. Brian Peters mm. was supposed to make a trip, bailed. But huh. uh, we're gonna we're, we're we're working on it. I think you should. I think you should have a little field trip to to Portland, Oregon. Yeah. I've actually never been. I've always wanted to go. I heard it's a beautiful part of the country. <laughs> Come on out. I should. Come I should. All right, you guys, Stanford versus Clemson. Like, is there a little battle in the locker room? You guys are now evenly tied. I feel like we're getting a lot of Stanford guys in there. Uh, we are. You know, we're we're cut from a, a solid cloth. You know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we got a good number of Stanford guys. I don't think there's much of a rivalry right now with the Clemson dudes. Uh-huh. Uh, if there's ever a day where Clemson plays Stanford, maybe that that rivalry will begin. Yeah, that's but true. It's, that's it's unfortunate. Right now, that's unfortunate. Uh, I want to talk to you about that uh, 2016 season. Would you go back and do anything differently now that you've been in the league a few years? Uh, 2016, uh, I would change the way that I uh, the way that I came in. Um, like my first off season before my first season, right? Like training, I was just like, I was killing myself. I was Why? going really hard just to train. Cause I'm about okay. to be in the league. You know, I want to like, be, I'm in the NFL strong, I gotta work really fast. Hard. You know, I got to do all of this stuff. And like, you know, I ended up coming in with a hamstring. Like it was like a tough oh, first weird. three weeks yeah. of training camp. And it was just because, you know, I was just training really hard back home. And I, if I would to do it differently, I would just would have taken, 
my time and kind of ease your way into it yeah. instead of harder because you know at a certain point that's kind of uh, how you prolong the career. You went on IR that year for a little bit in the middle. You came back yeah. for like the last few games of the mm-hmm. year and then the postseason. Yeah. What was that process like? Did uh, you know that you were going to come back or was that, you know, I, I imagine you put a lot of pressure on yourself to come uh, back. No, I had I had a little bit of an idea because I was just told when they uh, placed me on IR to stay ready. You know, you don't want to look happen. Like we can bring somebody back. That's true. To you. Mm-hmm. So especially down the line as uh, a couple guys ahead of me were, were getting hurt. You know, and a couple of weeks before I was able to come back, I kind of had a sense that, yeah, this uh, might be a good opportunity. So, you know, I kind of had it in my mind when they finally told me that I was going to be back. How exciting. You're undrafted, you're a rookie, and then you get to play in a playoff game oh, your yeah. first year. I mean, I imagine the emotions were just like, Yeah. I mean, was... can you even describe what that's like? No. I mean, at Did that... you think that you'd be in the NFL, like, when you're undrafted? Like, what was your sense of where your career was going to go? Um, I always thought that I had – the talent and the the work ethic and um I always thought that I could play in the NFL it was never really a doubt in my mind it was you know I guess a doubt in other folks mind and that's kind of something I've carried as a chip on my shoulder a little bit but uh for me personally you know my support group my my parents coaches you know never told me I couldn't do it so like I never had that belief you got a lot of support when it comes to football. One thing that you don't have a lot of support for, uh, your Instagram posts. Mm. I feel like your teammates give you a really hard time <laughs> about your – I don't understand why. I think they're great. I appreciate that. Brian Peters was giving you scores on your on your oh, captions. Yeah, 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 He's yeah, not yeah. a fan. JJ yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. gets in on that. Yeah. What's happening there? You know, the thing is, it's like it's like the same thing as publicity. You know, They say all, all publicity <laughs> is good, good publicity. publicity. So I say yeah. in, in terms of Instagram – all engagement is good engagement. You know what I mean? That's a good way so to look at it. They're, they're if I got BP and my comments hating, <laughs> JJ has an occasional hating comment, like, that's all right. Keep it coming. What's their biggest beef with your captions? Uh, they're pretty. Um, you'd have to ask them. I don't that's know. That's pretty I philosophical, mean, right? I, I think so. Appreciate it. I that. think that's where Instagram's headed. It's like a picture and then a very philosophical quote, which I can't really pull off, but. I mean, I mean, the young kids are doing it, and I, I think it looks it's it's a it's a it's a good Instagram voice. Oh, uh, for sure. I mean, I don't want to say that it says a lot about you now that you said you can't do it, but <laughs> it kind of says something. About, you know, well, I have it, to be true to me. So if that's gotta, not my identity, then I'm not going to pretend like it is. That's right. that's, that's part you of who I am. Real. I got to be real, and real is not for me. It's not having quotes like that. It's making fun of myself sometimes. I like that. I like that. Okay. Well, I'll have to come to you for Instagram questions i've learned a lot about you through your instagram i learned that you used to be a harry potter book fan and you used to wait up all night with your mom to buy books that's right that's right i was a huge harry potter fan i was really a big fan of reading when i was younger it was like for some reason i was really into like the sci-fi type books so like there was this like percy jackson was that after you before percy you... jackson i wasn't into that but there was these books called uh like aragon it was like a dragon series. Okay. That reminds me of like Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm only on season three of Game of Thrones. I kind of okay, no spoilers that. will be thrown out just yet. <laughs> but that is part of my Halloween costume. I'm just putting really? that out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, so I just finished the Red Wedding. Oh, yeah. It's been a tough week for I me. I can't believe nobody, get, you didn't have any spoilers about that. Because when that came out on Twitter, I mean, I had to like get off of Twitter for a while. So I wasn't even into Game of Thrones until like after training camp. Like okay. I started this, like, in the beginning of the season. And Will Fuller told me, because I was telling him, like, yo, like, I'm a big fan of Rob Stark. That's yeah. My, that's my yeah. guy. And he was like, 
Like, <laughs> like, just wait. That's pretty much, yeah. Just wait. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you like reading, you should go back and maybe read the books. Although I think the series is like so much better that I sort of abandoned the books. Like huh. I definitely read one and most of two. Yeah. But I thought the, uh, yeah, but I thought the series was just so much better. Yeah. Uh, you've got a lot of layers. Anything that people might be surprised to know about you? Oh. Well, I can't, you kind of you kind of gave away some of my I know, did? Well, the I have to do Twain, my research. Uh-huh. The Shania Twain thing, you know, that I picked up that shirt at a thrift shop. I'm a big thrift guy, so. Okay, I was going to ask you about that. I think people would be surprised to know that you shop at a thrift shop. Mm. Yeah, and several, why do you, several thrift shops in Houston, or do you have shop. to go to Portland for like the really good no, thrift Houston, shops? Houston has a few. There's some uh, over on Westheimer, like right in that Montrose area. But then I oh, got yeah. some. I got some connections on Instagram that's kind of been throwing <laughs> me some, blessing me with a, with some great pieces lately. So, uh, now nah, I'm into I'm into the vintage the vintage stuff because you know not everybody's wearing it. It's original. It's 100% original. It's almost like a one-of-one, you know, at this point. At 20, this point. 20 years later, it's like a one-of-one. It's, it's almost know? amazing and miraculous that you found it, and it fits you. As a football player, for I think sure. it's hard enough to, for normal people to find stuff that fits them in a thrift shop, and then you just go there, and it's oh, like without, off the well, rack. Luckily, back in the day, they used to, it, clothes were a little bigger. <laughs> <laughs> back in the day. So, so extra large. Don't try this at home. Today <laughs> doesn't fit me, but back in, like, the early 90s, you know, it's – I think that people would be surprised to know that as well as many other things. You got to follow this guy on Instagram, B.Scar. B.Scar. Yeah. And his, I think, I, I mean, I think it's great. You learn a lot B, of them. Period. <laughs> S-C-A-R. No sponsors yet. We're working on that, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. Brennan Scarlett. Thanks so much, All Brennan. Right, thanks for having me. Good stuff. Good dude. Good team player. Understanding his role in this squad. There he is, Brennan Scarlett. All right. We get back. I did something for Texans Replay. And I think it's worthy of bringing it back because what happened last night with DeAndre Hopkins in the catch. Everybody has seen it. He did it on national television for the entire world to see. Now, before that, I did an ultimate 11 of his best catches plays. Do you agree with my list? And after you hear it, where would you slot this catch? Does this go up to all the way to number one, even though it didn't count? We'll have that next right here on Texans All Access. It is time for our Choose Fun Moment of the Week. I don't think anything was more fun than this last night. Third down and eight, 7.45 to go, third quarter. Watson, shotgun. Hopkins, short side left. One back Miller on third down from the 19. Watson gets the snap, looking. Deshaun stepping to his left, now throwing deep down, left side, and Hopkins with a one-handed grab at the 45-yard line of Miami. How does he do it? But it's going to be pass interference. If it ends up not counting, it's one of those Hopkins catches that you'll want to see forever, even though it doesn't count. Pass interference, number 10 offense. Both fouls offset. Third down. That might have been the best catch I've ever seen. It was between the legs. He got it with the left hand, pulled it in under his left leg, got the body to fall. The ball never hit the ground as both hands get on the ball between his legs. You ought to just let that one go just because of the beauty of the play. You're going to see that highlight forever just like the one against the Giants and neither of them count. There were plenty of Choose Fun moments last night, but that is at the top. Don't forget to enter for your chance to win a cruise every week if the Texans catch a touchdown. And they caught a lot of them last night from Carnival, the official cruise line of the Houston Texans Choose Fun. Now, I also chose that moment because it segues into 
this segment on DeAndre Hopkins. On Tuesday nights, I do a show called Texans Replay. And in my final segment, I was trying to think of what to do, and I thought, you know, that catch that DeAndre had against Jacksonville, the one-hander down the sideline against Jalen Ramsey, which was just extraordinary, is, I mean, to see him do that, it got me thinking after. I was on the, I was on the bus, and I thought, man, I started kind of just jotting down notes into my phone. What were the best catches slash plays he's ever made? And then they just started come pouring out. Man, here, here they are. Then this one happened last night. This is what I thought on Tuesday night were the ultimate 11 catches slash plays he's ever made. Where does the one last night rank? Take a listen and see what I thought before that catch, and I'll tell you after where I would put that catch. Let's start with number 11, a play that never counted, unfortunately, and didn't count. But it's still, to me, the greatest catch he's made, and that was in 2014 against the New York Giants. Ryan Fitzpatrick under center, blue in the backfield. Fitzpatrick fakes the give, flag down. Fitzpatrick throws long, and Watts Hopkins has him inside the 30-yard line in double coverage. Big play, Texans. What's the flag for? Illegal formation. Offense. The wide receiver covered number 74, who reported as eligible. Five-yard penalty, first down. What a catch by Hopkins. It was great, and it doesn't count. I'm watching the replay, and it is, I mean, if that stood... That's the play of the of Sunday afternoon football. That would have been on everybody's highlight package today. I hadn't seen one like that in a long, long time. Woo. Amazing with two giants draped all over him. I mean, I'm still shaking my head at that one. I still I saw it happen, and the words that I that I said I cannot say on radio, but let's just say that was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. That's at a number eleven, just only. Because it doesn't count, and it didn't count. But this one counted at number 10. I don't think people remember this one too much, but I do. This was against the Jets in 2015. Hopkins was running an out route, and, well, he snagged this one with one hand. TJ back to throw. TJ looking, and he fires right sideline, and it's caught by Hopkins for a first down as he steps out of bounds at the 31-yard line. What a grab, and the throw over the head of Revis. One hand. Just reached out, snagged it. Oh, my gosh. I can still see that catch against the Jets, and there might be more of that. In 2017, we went to Seattle, and that was an unbelievable afternoon on a lot of different levels. But late in the game, the Texans down by three. One of Hop's easier catches, I guess you could say, but one heck of a play took place late in the fourth quarter. 72 yards. I think it's the second longest play he's had as a Texan. Hop did this on a screen and run against Seattle. Empty backfield. Second down and seven from the Houston 28. Throws to Hopkins. Right side. Winding it to the inside. Has the 35, the 40. Hopkins across the 50. Hopkins is all alone. Nobody in front of him. 20, 10, 5. Rock and roll. Touchdown. That was at number nine. At number eight, DeAndre Hopkins can frequent different islands. He went to 20 land the other day. And at number eight, he went to Revis Island and pretty much set the place on fire. Against the Jets, he was matched up with Revis all game long. And he torched him at play number eight for the 61-yard touchdown catch. From the Texans' 38-yard line, bootleg. Yates with time. Yates going deep. And he's got a man, Hopkins. He makes the catch at the 15, 10-5. Rock and roll. Touchdown, Houston. 61 yards. Man, that was unreal to see him just roast Darrell Revis that way. Now, 
we needed to win earlier this year at 0-3 in a bad, bad way. I'm telling you, it we needed one. In overtime, after a stop, the Texans had the ball near midfield. Sean Watson had 24 seconds, and he had his man DeAndre Hopkins at his side. Watson looked for Hopkins, and Hop did this late in OT to put them in game-winning field goal shape. First down at the Colts, 43, empty backfield. Watson awaits the snap. Here it is. Deshaun looking, throws over the middle. And he's got Hopkins across the 30 to 25. Hopkins down to the 20-yard line. Everybody hustling downfield. Clock running, 16 seconds to go. Boy, that was a huge play. Spiked it at three, kicked it at the game, at the horn. Texans get the win, haven't lost since. At number six, last year, Patrick Peterson came in the building from the Arizona Cardinals, uh, along with Tyra Matthew. Uh, at that point, a great secondary with those two back there. And DeAndre Hopkins is going to be matched up against Pat Pete all day long. And Patrick got him some. He got him some, but Hopkins also got him as well. This touchdown catch to me, going one-on-one with Peterson and making the touchdown when he did this. And I remember Patrick Peterson patting him on the head after this happened. This was absolutely fantastic. And it comes in at number six. First down at the Arizona 28, Tom in the gun. Savage gets the snap. Tom looking, and he passes left side of the end zone, and Hopkins has it for the touchdown. Rock and roll. The Texans retake the lead. I just remember Pat Peterson tapping him on the head as if to say, yeah, you got me, young buck. You got me. He certainly did. All right, for number five, we're going back to 2015. That was the year to me when Hop really made his presence known nationally. And to me, it was... You could take any any number of catches against the Jacksonville Jaguars that afternoon. I think he ended up with 10 of them. But there was one in which he pinned the ball to his helmet. We know it as the helmet catch, and it comes in at number five. Brian stands up, and pointing to the defense. Jacksonville stacking the line. Hoyer back to throw. Here's it out there on the right side. Wants Hop, and he's got him. Hop inside the 30-yard line. <laughs> you can hear him get excited. That might have been me, to be honest with you. That, was, that might have been me. He caught the ball and pinned it to his head. Pinned it to his head. That comes in at number five. All right, number four. We're going back just a few weeks. Sunday night, prime time, Dallas, overtime, need a play. Who are you looking for, Deshaun Watson? You're looking for your man, DeAndre Hopkins. At number four, it is an overtime against the Cowboys. We know it as Spinorama. It's one of the most – It might it, number four might – I mean, I don't know. Number four is just maybe too low. Maybe in the fans' eyes, like, because it was beating the Cowboys and this was the key play to do it, maybe it should be a little higher on the list. But there are three pretty good ones in front of this. But number four, Spinorama against Dallas. Second and nine for the Houston 24. Watson in the gun. Two receivers left. Hopkins to the right side. QT in motion to the right. Watson – Fakes the pass to QT. Now throws it downfield to his left. How's Hopkins across the 45, 50, 45 on Dallas. Spin move, 40, 35. DeAndre Hopkins inside the 30, down to the 27-yard line. What a catch and run by Nuke. So when I sat with my list and I thought, man, where does the catch that he made against Jacksonville, the one-hander, where does that fall? Well, it comes in right here at number three because this one-hander is just ridiculous. Number three the one-hander against Jalen Ramsey and the Jags on Sunday afternoon. Watson gets the snap, airs it out downfield, left side, and Nuke with a one-handed grab down the sideline. He's out of bounds in Jacksonville territory. Well, how do you explain what that man can do? I mean, how do you explain it to somebody? 
it was just amazing. And I, I don't know if the play at number two. Yeah, I mean, listen, you could switch one, two, and three, and I probably would be okay with it. Probably. But this one, unfortunately, it came in a game that probably a lot of people had turned off at some point playing against the Steelers. The Steelers were up big at that point. DeAndre Hopkins made perhaps the catch of the year last year against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and this is at number two. First and goal at the three. Yates gets the snap, throws left side of the end zone. Hopkins with a juggling grab. Does he make it? Toe tapper. Yes! Touchdown, DeAndre Hopkins. Just absolutely sublime. I don't know how how else to say it. That catch against Pittsburgh, oh my goodness. For number one, we're going into 2015, Cincinnati, Monday night, and what a what a night that was. What a night. The defense was just out of its mind. TJ Yates has to come in the game, and in the fourth quarter, down 6-3, to three, they look up DeAndre Hopkins down the left side right in front of me, and Hop made this catch. And to me, this is number one. Yates under center, blue in the backfield, two receivers left, one to the right side, Washington. Yates. Drops back, fires left side of the end zone, wants Hopkins, and DeAndre with the catch, touchdown! Yates to Hopkins as the Texans take the lead. You cannot write this. T.J. Yates brings the Texans in front of the Bengals. So that leads to last night's. Where would you put it? It didn't count, obviously, but from a... That's the most amazing physical activity I've ever seen on a football field. It's number one. Cincinnati mattered more because it was a Monday night game, and it turned that season really around. So in hindsight, that one really stays up at the top. The Pittsburgh catch, he's the tipping it to himself. Like, I've seen other guys do that. His hop made that one look incredible. The one-hander against Jacksonville, he's done that. He's done it a few times. Last night, he's holding off Xavier Howard with his right hand. He snags it with his left hand, and to secure it, he goes under his legs as if he's doing basketball drills. You kidding me? I would I would put that one at number one. And I would leave the Giants one at number 11. I'd probably take out what I had at number 10. And that would just bump everybody down. I just think last night what he did was unbelievable. The tweets came out all night. We saw them from our buddy Cecil Shorts, saw from Todd Gurley, saw them. I, I thought I saw one from Odell Beckham Jr. They were just incredulous as to what that man did on Thursday night against the Miami Dolphins. And what's interesting about that game is he really didn't have a great first half. I think he had two for eight in the first half. That one didn't count, but that just kind of broke open the dam for him. That really got him going. I guess maybe because it didn't count. But when you watch it on replay and you see all the different angles, it was not pass interference. I think that's what angers me more than anything else was it was not interference. So that was that was fun. Those those plays that he's made, and I didn't even go back to his rookie year of 2013. There's probably a few there in 2013 I could have pulled in, but just decided to go with the time that I've been in the building and I've been on the sidelines. I've seen him do just some stupid, ridiculous stuff. Last night went to a whole different level. All right, we get back. We got our buddy Greg Mance going to join us, and we got some Houston Methodist Minutes for you as well right here on Texans All Access.
We've got one final segment of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, a weary football analyst and sideline reporter, John Harris. I know a lot of you are. A lot of you went to the game last night. A lot of you got home at dark 30, some past midnight, so you got home on Friday morning, technically. So it's been a long, long night for a lot of you. It's been that way for me. But it's been fun to go back and look at what the Texans did last night with the one obvious difficulty and uh, that came out of last night, which was the Will Fuller injury. Torn ACL, Will out for the year. And I just hate it. I hate it for him. As Coach O'Brien said in our first segment, just hate it for Will because he worked so hard at it. He added weight in the offseason to add 10, 15 pounds. He was doing things. And you just think of the great things that Will did this year. Then he has a 73-yard uh, touchdown catch last night. He has everything kind of going in the right direction, and then that happens. So this team's got to find some grit, as it has all year, find a way to replace the production, find a way to impact the deep end of the field that Will would impact and keep this thing rolling. Next man up, let's roll. Now, next man up is the philosophy of the Texans, and each each and every NFL team have to really abide by, to be honest with you. And a guy that epitomizes that here is Greg Mance. Had to step in for Zach Folden after Zach banged up his ankle. Uh, in the Buffalo Bills game, gutted it out against Buffalo, but unable to go against Jacksonville and against Miami. Hopefully we'll get Zach back, but Greg has stepped into that role at right guard and done a really, really nice job. And Mark and I had a chance to catch up with him earlier this week to talk about it. What's it like for you playing guard as opposed to center? How is that different? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 a completely, you know, all, all spots on the line are so different. And, um, you know, one of the other things is just, how you flip sides, you know, pretty frequently. It's sometimes mm-hmm. sort of a, not so much a mental bugaboo, but like, you know, physically like getting your footwork right and right. Um, how you sit on things. So that's, that's definitely different. Um, you know, this year um, I sort of been bouncing around all three, you know, from the preseason to the regular season, the Giants game and now here it right. So, um, you know, I'm sort of trying to develop an ability just to sort of play all three. Um, as far as differences, you know, you gotta, you gotta lean on your guys, you know, Nick's really smart in the middle. Um, Lamb doesn't ever stop talking to me on the outside. So like you have guys, you know, you can trust. And so like, you know, when you're, when you're getting ready for it, they can tell you, you know, if something looks wrong or whatever. You've played next to a number of different guys over your career. I mean, you started, you know, 2016, the entire way playing in between two guards at center, (laughs) but you play next to a guy in Kendall Lamb, a guy that you've, you've known, as you said, you, you've known since you've been here, you've been close. Does that help? at all on the offensive line that you guys are close off the field? Does that make things any better on the field at all? You know, I, I, I think that's a major key. And, um, you know, I, I, I know you guys have heard us talk about, like, the things we did as a, a unit this year, this off season. you yeah. know. And you sort of built that chemistry because you need it because there's, you know, never going to be a year I can think of where the same five guys start every game. Yeah. So um, it does it does mean you have to build, you know, some, some rapport with every guy on the line. But, you know, individually speaking, you know, Kendall and I do have such a close relationship that, you know, sometimes I can sort of look at him and nod and he knows what I'm thinking, yeah. you know. So you translate that to the field. You know, I never will have a doubt in my mind that he knows what I'm thinking and I know what he's thinking pre-snap based on alignments, you know, formation, down and distance. Like, we're going to be on the same page. And that's, I think, a major, major plus. What's it like having Watson back there as opposed to a guy who doesn't run around as much? Because – 
things are so unpredictable. He can escape problems. He can also, all of a sudden, he's in front of you, he's behind you, he's to your side. I mean, how does that work for you? You know, he's special. And uh, I remember last year in training camp, you know, we were, we were just doing the first couple of days. And, like, you know, a couple of us looked around because we were working with him when he was at two back in training mm-hmm. camp. And we just said, man, he's got whatever it is. You know, I don't yeah. know what it is. But he just sort of had it. And, um, you know, when you're out there, you just want to you wanna block forever for the guy. You know, right. as far as him moving around, I mean, you know, if he, if he can d- d- let him do what he does, you know, and I'm just going to try to hold whoever I have in front of me off for as long as I can. All right, what about – the 0-3 start, and how you guys felt and the need to tune out the noise and all of that, the way you guys stuck together. Well, um, you know, I think that starts with the the leaders, you know, like guys who have been there before, you know, I think J.J., I think of Tyron, I think of, you know, Dre Howe, I think of J. Joe, you know, I think of Hop. Um, I think of guys who have been there before, you know. Um, I was thinking, what was it? My rookie year, we were two and five, mm-hmm. right? Yep. You know, before we really and we made the playoffs, so like none of the guys were um, panicked, you know. And mm-hmm. obviously, I mean, I, I could tell you guys, like, I don't even look at social media, like, on all those things because right. I don't want to know about it, good or bad. Yeah, right. You know, so like I can tell you, a lot of guys don't pay attention to that stuff, and like tuning out the outside noise, like we didn't even know what was going on, you know, because we thought if we could just get one, you know, we could start rolling it the right way, and. um you know, we're starting to roll it the right way. In the off season, we all talked about strength and conditioning and nutrition and everything like that. Is this the time of year where you really expect that to pay the dividends? I mean, how does all that work out for you physically? Sure. Um, you know, I think with this short week, we need to, you know, double down on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the whole year, I think, at, at least for me personally, I felt it the whole year. You know, people uh, have noticed that we all look a little leaner, especially up front. And um, it's helping in everything, movement, flexibility, you know, holding on to blocks. Um, it, it's, it's, it's really cool just to sort of see how it's all working. And as far as going forward, um, as long as everyone, you know, stays the course, I think absolutely it'll help going forward because in years prior it was when, you know, guys would put on 10 pounds up front, and, you know, mm-hmm. just because you can't um, – you can't take as many reps as the season goes on, obviously, right. just because of time. So, you know, guys would still be eating the same way and gaining weight. So this year, now that we're focusing so much on that, I'm excited to see really like this week and then like four weeks down the line, even in that regard. Excellent stuff there from Greg Mance. All right, it's time for some Houston Methodist minutes. Mark. Take it away. It's Houston Methodist Minutes. Joining us right now, Dr. Alicia Robichaux from Houston Methodist, the Woodlands Hospital. How's it going, doctor? It's going very well. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you on the show. We're talking about sports psychology right now. I love this subject because it applies to so many different things. And we always look at golfers, place kickers, people like that. But everybody feels pressure. What kind of athletes do you work with, doctor? Um, I work with a lot of different athletes. Um, since I'm an ex-gymnast, I have a special market to a lot of the, the gymnasts around the Houston Metroplex. Woodlands um, is home of the World Championship Center for mm-hmm. Simone Biles, which Methodist also sponsors. And um, we have lots of dancers. We have golfers. We have runners. So sports psychology is really high up here, and, and a lot of athletes use it to be successful. As a spectator, I always find a big difference between a sport like gymnastics, and you mentioned dancing, 
These things, you have to be perfect, basically, to win. But in other sports, you can make a lot of mistakes. Baseball, if you get a hit every three times or once every three times, you're making millions. It's different in other sports. Do you find that to be the case, or are some of the fundamentals the same? You know, the fundamentals are, are really about the same, but in, in a, a, per, a performance-type sport like dance or gymnastics or even golf, you know, you, you have to be 100% every time. There are certain situations that you can make up for it and you can still catch up, kind of like in football or in baseball. But you gotta be you got to be 100%. And even sometimes my best elite athletes always strive to be about 150%. All right, so what are some of the common problems people have in sport? You know, my wife plays tennis at a reasonably high level for a club tennis player. And she says sometimes she has some days where it's just really difficult to hit the ball accurately and it gets in her head. So how do you prevent something from getting in somebody's head? And this happens in all sports to all athletes on occasion, I would imagine. Absolutely. And, and that does take a lot of work to really focus on the positive, try and drown out the negative. We use a lot of different resources like you know imagery and, and positive reaffirmations and and all of the things that everybody goes, well, that's kind of a bunch of hokey mess, but it really does work. And even when I was a gymnast at LSU, um, we actually had a group setting where we would sit all as a group, as a team, and visualize all of our bar routines and visualize our beam routines and try and see us hitting them 100% perfect because if you only see the negative, it's so hard to not focus on that negative, focus on the fall, focus on you know hitting it out of bounds, focusing on missing that dunk. So you really have to see yourself doing the positive in order to be successful. So you just try and not focus on the bad. I once heard Carl Malone in an interview talking about having free throw difficulties. And he said, at some point, you have to work that stuff out by yourself in a gym. Do you find that to be the case that going back to the fundamentals is truly helpful as far as just practicing the craft itself? Absolutely. You know, for golfers, we practice how do you set up? How do you see your, your swing go? What is your stroke supposed to be? How are you going to hit the ball? Are you hitting at the right angle? Making sure all the basics work, but making sure you know what your basics are doing. Just like if you were doing a, a running drill or a hurdles drill, you got to make sure you can clear the hurdle. You have to believe you can, but you have to work on the basic skill. Free throws are an excellent example. You know, if you miss and you miss and you miss, Odds are you're probably going to keep missing, but eventually you start hitting and then you see yourself hitting and you continue to believe you can hit and eventually your percentage goes up. It doesn't make it 100%, but if we had a 100% free throw shooter, they'd be making a lot more money. What about the rigors of professional football, say, and getting through a season like that where it's highly physical, all sports are, I get it, but it's a collision sport and you have to sort of survive through that grueling kind of schedule and perform at a high level? I think for our, our football players, we take care of a lot of um, college players as well as high school players. And visualizing, knowing the plays, knowing the routes that you're supposed to go, knowing that your your defender is going to help you, knowing that you've got a blocker, knowing that you're supposed to, to throw at a certain angle to where the player that's going to be there, even though when you look up, they're not quite there yet. You know, I think a lot of visual imagery is very helpful in, in sports like football at any level. And, and knowing that you know the play is by heart in your eyes when your eyes are closed means that you're just going to run the route and do what you're talented enough to do. And, and that starts at a very young level at peewee leagues as well as high school. So they've got to be able to learn those plays. They've got to be able to, 
to memorize the direction that the next player that you're aiming for is going to be in that spot. And if not, where is player number two and where is player number three? Where are your options? I also have a note here on overtraining. Is this a real thing as far as that leading to poor performance mentally? Overtraining isn't as common in in things like football and baseball. It's much going to be more likely in my running sports, in my gymnastics sports, in my performance sports, because a lot of people figure if you do, you know, an hour of work in your sports, that maybe five hours is better. And in certain situations, that can really be detrimental to an athlete. I have more overtraining in my gymnastics and my running sports than probably anything else because they do spend more time not recovering. And if you don't truly recover, this is why a lot of the best running groups have, have cycles of, of training where you have a buildup over three to four weeks and then you have a recovery week. Um, this really does get the body to reset so that you can rest, you can recover from injury, but you also reset the brain. And the brain does need some time to sleep, to not have a six-hour workout every day, maybe do a one- or a two-hour workout. Those recovery times for muscles, for joints, for brain, for tissue, for you know just everything in general really does keep your body from burning out. Overtraining can be exhausting and also mimics a lot of depression situations And athletes can be putting in hours and hours and hours, and all of a sudden their performance starts to decline, and it can be very scary for them because they are technically doing everything they were taught to do, but maybe they're doing too much. Maybe they're not getting proper rest time, and they're increasing the risk of injury rather than decreasing it. That's great information, doctor. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for calling. Dr. Alicia Robichaud from Houston Methodist, the Woodlands Hospital. For the fall sports season, Houston Methodist Orthopedics and Sports Medicine is offering convenient sports injury clinics for student-athletes all around the Houston area. The clinics are open Saturday mornings in Baytown, Clear Lake, West Houston, Katy, Sugarland, and Willowbrook. For more information, log on to HoustonMethodist.org slash athlete, the official health care provider of the Houston Texans, Houston Methodist Leading Medicine. And that will do it, folks. That's the final call on this show. A lot of people to thank for their participation. Bill O'Brien, Jordan Thomas, Justin Reed, Mark Vandermeer, D.P. Sidhu, Brennan Scarlett, Greg Mance. Got to thank DeAndre Hopkins for all the plays so I could do an ultimate 11 of his plays. Absolutely fantastic. You guys are the best for listening. Thanks to my guys back at Studio Sports Radio 610. Got a lot of weary people around the city that can get some rest this weekend. Watch the Jags and Eagles, and hopefully the Texans can go up two on the Jags when the Eagles win, and you know, cheer for the Raiders. Keep the Colts as far back as humanly possible. Not let Andrew Luck think he's got a shot in this whole thing. That would be nice. But you get to enjoy some football, enjoy some family, and then start getting ready for Denver on Monday. As a reminder, we will have Texas Monday at 8 a.m. We'll have the Bill O'Brien Show at 5. We'll have all access at 6. And I'll take you right up to the Monday Night Football game, New England at Buffalo. We'll see you then, everybody. And as always, go Texans.